fingers crossed it all works this time. So <laughs> nothing like a good old false start. Yep. Um, welcome to... <laughs> Welcome to the second episode of Gobsmacked, and that is, of course, the uh, grumpy old businessmen who just have very candid, open conversations about a whole bunch of stuff around business and life. And um, this uh, this week, we're going to be having a chat around customer service. But of course, before we even jump into that, this thing would only be half of what it is without my good mate over here. It's probably down. It depends on where it is. And of course, you're right. I'm just pointing back to you. And the irony is, when this thing's on speak of you, we're not side by side. Me going like that's going to be useless. Patrick, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well, mate. Uh, you know, I'm always on the right side of the green, not the brown, which is a good start to the day. Not buried in the soil. Ah, got it. Yes. <laughs> Come on, catch up, mate. Catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I need a drink um, and something better than the caffeine in this thing. So, um, mate. We um, this last 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 time we, we went a little bit too long sure. um, for no other purpose too long than we couldn't share the thing on anywhere except YouTube. Um, by the way, go and uh, click on the on YouTube and, and get the playlist. And you'll get all the all the episodes. Um, so we're going to keep it about forty five minutes. That way you'll be able to see it on LinkedIn or IGTV or wherever yep. you personally love to hang out. So uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about customer service. If you have comments, ideas, feedbacks, criticisms, whatever, share them in the comments. Put up your hand, we'll even invite you in if you want. Um, and let's just have an open candid conversation together. So, uh, Patrick, you had a, a story you, you were talking about the other day, well, we were talking about the other day, uh, about customer service. It might be a good way for us to get started into this thing. Sure. Look, I wanted to buy a simple uh, but reasonable quality, mid-priced camera for the PC in the other room so we could do Skype and, 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 and Duo and so forth with family members around the world and around the country. So I went, into this, I went all over the area, in the Tweed area I live, and nobody had cameras. Obviously, this, this virus thing has meant people have bought all the bloody cameras so they can talk to each other. So anyway, I go into the store, and they've got one camera style, and one guy says to me, oh, no, that's problematic. And the other guy says, oh, don't be using that word. There's no problem here. And already my antenna's gone up, problematic. Why would he say that? So I buy the thing, bring it home, and for some reason I have to pair it with my iPhone, hook it into an app, and all I wanted is plug it on the computer. But anyway, so I do all that, but it wouldn't pair. Mm. Nearly an hour, I tried pairing this thing. And I used to be a business development manager for an IT company. I have, a, uh, I have a, an associate diploma in audio engineering. So when it comes to electronic stuff, I'm not a complete non. You know, you know a thing or two. Yeah. So I go back to the guy and I say, listen, I'm having trouble with this. It won't pair with my phone, which is an iPhone 7. He said, oh, there shouldn't be a problem with it. We've never had a problem before. Oh, of course not. And so it's your fault. Absolutely. So immediately my hackles have gone up and I said, well, you know, maybe this one has a fault. I mean, that's why things are covered by warranty. Even Rolls-Royce has a warranty because sometimes they fail to proceed, as they say. So he said, no, 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 nothing wrong with it. Uh, if, you don't, if you're not going to use it as a remote security camera, just do it through the computer. You don't need to do that. So rather than get involved in an argument, I went back, all right, home, and I went, went halfway through the manual and I started to do it just as a PC one, a standalone without having to do the net. I yeah. get halfway through all the preparations, and what do I get? I've still got to hook it up through the app. Right. So I ended up having to use this laptop instead. My point being, I'm never going back there. 
Okay. I might try that camera on another phone or maybe on my tablet, but I am go- I'm not going back to that store because they have burnt me. If they just said, well, hang on, pull it out of the box and I'll try and pair it up with my phone. We'll just plug it and see if we can get it going for you. Remember, this is in the virus situation. So I was the only customer in the damn store. There was no one else. I was on Matotti. So they could have spent the time with me. But no, he didn't. He just said, nothing wrong with it. Go back home. So there's an example of how that guy, and I'm capable of spending, you know, money with these stores because I like like my tech. I'm not going back to that store ever again. They've now burnt me as a customer. On the other hand, I will mention the name of this company because it's a real positive. Uh, Not far from where I was in that particular store is a Bunnings store, right? And and they have a concierge-type person at the front who always greets everybody and always says, thanks for coming, catch you later, have a great day. Well, there's one guy there who is absolutely fantastic. So the very first contact I have with this store, this guy says, g'day, mate, how you doing? You know, what's happening? What are you after? And already you're going, hello, I'm welcome into this store. That's what stores need to recognise. See, they're competing online. They're complaining and bitching and whinging about how bricks and mortar stores have to compete with online, with Amazon and eBay and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, is it any wonder when you go into a store, I want to go in and have a personal interaction with somebody. I will pay the extra 15% because I can try it on or get advice or check it out eye to eye. I'm already out of the house, so why don't I just go to the store? I'm happy to do that. I do online buying as well, some stuff. But mostly I want that personal connection. We are human beings after all, and I want, and I want a specialist to talk to me. Yep, absolutely. But the same companies that are whinging and bitching and whining about the online companies are the very ones that are doing themselves a disservice. Mm-hmm. And I walk into some stores and I cannot see anybody to serve me anywhere. There's just no, just no one. So what's the, why would you go into a bricks and mortar store? The customer service has gone down the drain and you've got to ask the question, why? And the answer, I believe, is especially for the larger companies that are on the stock exchange, et cetera, their focus has shifted to the dividends to the shareholders. Okay, they've forgotten that their one reason for existence is to provide a service or a goods at a a given level of quality for for a given level of competitive price to a consumer. That's why they exist. They don't exist to give dividends to the shareholders. And that's come about because bean counters, and I respect bean counters, don't get me wrong, I worked with them. I was a practice manager for for a number of accountants. And they do a wonderful job, but they're not about people. They're not about marketing. They're not about that user experience. All they are about is cost of goods, cost of sales, profit and loss, markup, percentage, net profit, gross profit, all these kind of things. That's what they're about. And so they miss the very core reason why a business is in business, is to talk to you. Well, listen, let's, let's be honest, right? Um, you know, for these sorts of for those sorts of stores, and not just the not not the entire retail industry, but especially for those sorts of stores, life and business would be fantastic if they never had to deal with a client, but people would just deposit money in their bank account and the shareholders can get their shares. Mm, sure. The, and the real the reality is, however, different. And I quite I, I find it quite interesting. You know, engaging with your customers in an online environment is actually very easy when you know how and and you're alert to the different ways of doing it. And you're not a tech, you know not not fearful of tech. That said, 
when you get people in the door of your store or in the door of your office, because it doesn't even have to be retail, it could be commercial, you know, office. It is so easy. It is so easy to build trust and goodwill and raving fans in that moment that they walk in and every moment that they are in the door because you have the human connection and you can either absolutely decimate the relationship or you can continue to build foundation upon foundation upon foundation. And uh, they, a, lot of, a lot of companies, they just, you know, they just don't get it. And I agree with you, Bunnings is, is generally a really cool store for those people mm. in Australia. They'll know Bunnings, those overseas. Sorry, you won't necessarily know it. I'm trying to think of the equivalent in the US and the UK right now. Lowe's, Lowe's in the US. Lowe's in the US. Yeah, yeah Lowe's, that's right. Yeah. Um, in England, you've got DIY and DIA. Yeah, those boys. So that's a Bunnings, big, yeah, whatever. But so you know, there's, a, there's a lesson that people can learn here about, uh, about customer service, and you're absolutely right. It's um, you, you, have, you have that opportunity to engage with a client. You don't do it. You're not going to go back to the store. And so many businesses and business owners don't realise that their frontline staff are killing their clientele. Yep. Right? They're absolutely killing the clientele because a lot of people talk about CRM, customer relationship management, and it's one of my biggest bugbears that people keep talking about this customer relationship management thing. For me, and I'm not playing with words here, for me when I work with premium clients, it's always about customer recreation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Every, and, and what I mean by that is every time that you interact with a client, irrespective of whether it's online or offline, you have the possibility to recreate the relationship. In fact, you have the obligation, you, you, and irrespective of whether you take that the possibility and that obligation, you are recreating the, the relationship with the client each and every time. It's the old story. You're only as good as your last rock, you know, rock star is only as good as his last song, uh, last concert or whatever. You are recreating your relationship with your clients every time you interact with them. And depending upon the severity or the, gra- or the gravity of that, con- that interaction, that communication, that will determine how far up or how far down you go in your relationship. Absolutely. And so many of the, you know, the, uh, suppliers of information, you know, the, 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 the front counter staff, if they were to say to me, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, I don't have a problem with that. I don't expect them to be a polymath. But what I'd like them to say is, I, look, I don't know the answer to that. How about I just go and ask so-and-so or give me a minute and I'll find the answer for you. Don't have a problem with that. But, no, they have to try and tell you that they know it all. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, and as you said, you're not building trust with the customer because the, the, if you can say to somebody, I don't know the answer, I'll get the answer for you, that's being honest. Okay? And I'd rather deal with an honest person that doesn't know than a dishonest person who pretends to know. So we're talking about now relationships and we're building um, an interaction. When I was managing those three pharmacies uh, and I would be working in each one, and I'm not a pharmacist, um, but I always tried to make sure that every customer I dealt with left with a smile on their face, every single one of them. didn't always work. Some people just don't have a smile to put on their face. But every customer, I did my best to make them feel comfortable, welcomed, have a smile on their face and if I didn't know the answer because we're talking chemistry here in pharmacy I would say hang on a minute don't know the answer to that I'll put you on to the pharmacist okay 
Um, and so that business started to grow. And I will, I know it sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet or trombone as I've got no, over mate, here. Yeah, show us the trombone, blow it by any, all means. That's all right. But, but the reality is it's because I spent the time to treat them like people, like a, a new friend. Um, there's a lovely American native saying that a stranger is only a friend you haven't met yet. Yeah. Okay? So I tried to make friends with all of them and to be positive, to be pleasant, to have a smile on my face and to make them smile. That's customer service. It's not just the product. It's not just the price. It's about that interaction. Okay. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, businesses are looking with a magnifying glass rather than a broad angle lens. They're using a, uh, a, a magnifying glass to look at cost of goods, cost of sales, profit and loss, markup, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And they're missing the point. The real reason they exist in the first place is to fix your problem, to scratch your itch, whatever that may be. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's not go where that is. Yeah, no, I just realised what I said when I'm talking to you. Good God. <laughs> Jeez. I've got no batteries to support them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, way back when, we're talking mid, sort of just after the middle of the 80s, late 80s, I was, um, I was in Dusseldorf in Germany. I was in hospitality. A uh, good mate of mine, I was helping him uh, in his restaurant. Um, his name was... Uh, he was an Italian dude from, uh, from Sicily, of all mm -hmm. places. Uh, his name was uh, Carlo Caputo, right? And bespoke beautiful German. And he used to have a saying, you know, they, there's this old saying that the customer is king, right? And um, at a very young age, he, he, he put my mind in a different frame uh, with regard to that. He says, um, basically translating to the customer may be king, but he has to, re he has to behave royally. You know, the, 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 the Augustus König, aber er muss sich königlich benehmen. Yep. And uh, another good bloke, uh, Marcus Couchy, um, Sandler sales trainer from uh, the UK, south of England, he, uh, he, he nails it. He's like, sorry, the customer is not king. The customer is not better than you. At the very best, the customer is your equal because you have the gold. Yes. And they need something. Right. Now, that works really well in a, in a, um, in a B2B environment. Uh, it can also work very well in a retail environment, providing it doesn't get fueled with, you know, uh, container loads of arrogance. But yeah. It has to be egalitarian, the relationship. Yeah. It's not one of, it's not one of dominance or superiority or, or, or steps. It, it's about egalitarianism. I, you have a problem or you have a need, you have a scratch, an itch. You've come in and I'm the person you've come into for me to solve that problem, scratch your itch or whatever it is. And, and that's the reason I'm there. That's why I'm employed or that's why I own the business is to supply the solution to your problem. The stock I carry is not my focus. My profit and loss, I, I keep an eye on it, I understand it, and I make sure it's healthy. But that's not my focus because that will all happen if I'm doing the other thing with the people, with the customers in the door to bring them in, word of mouth, whether it's social media or whether it's face-to-face -face or wherever. It's that personal interaction that brings your clients back to you time and time and time again. Why do you go to the same doctor all the time? Because I can't tell you. I don't go to the doctor. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. Sorry. Next example. Yeah. Why do you go to that gentleman's club the same way every time? <laughs> <laughs> Better question. That's my service. 
Better question, different forum. <laughs> yes. No, but you see my point there. You go to the doctor because you have a relationship with them, you trust them, they know you, you know them. Okay. And that's what it should be with a store or with a service department or with a mechanic. I mean, I just dropped my car off today. I've been to three other mechanics and they've just thrown parts at the problem and put me on a wild goose chase. And this guy has gone, let me have a look, probe, 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 probe. Now there's your problem there and I'll show you why and I can prove it. There it is. Yep. Where do you reckon I'll be going back to? Yeah, the, 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 one, the one who just solved your problem. Yeah, and he had a, he had a, a good line, a good spin, you know, good one-liners. He was a, a real blokey Aussie bloke that, not this, that people are not Aussie darn are a problem, and they're not. But he was just saying he had this lovely welcoming attitude. Related well. to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's. This is about the customer. Yeah, let's let's spin this around for a second though as well, because you know we can we can go get down on. Let's say go to, We can get down on the the front line staff. Freudian. Um, yeah, <laughs> Freudian. Thank you. We can get down on the front line staff for not being you know everything that as business owners and managers we need them to be. Yeah. However, the reality of frontline staff behaviour is quite often um, that they have weak management. Yep. But a sales manager or operational management or whatever, a bad operational manager or a bad sales manager is going to cost your business a lot more than the bad person on the front line because they're not doing it. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, uh, one of my, my favourite lines is, you know, you cannot expect your frontline people or your staff in any area of your business to be giving your customers and your prospects awesome experiences and not give a shit how they experience the interaction themselves. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is just hiring people who should not be there. Yeah, you know, what hiring people is a skill. Let's be honest. And most it's a people, science and an art. Yeah. yeah. And and at the same time, it's not a skill that should be just left to HR departments because the HR department quite often doesn't understand what's required at the coalface, no. wherever that coalface is in the organisation. At the same time, the person at the coalface quite often doesn't have the skills to be able to do a proper hire. And um, you end up with um, the situation where the person being hired may be a great person, just not in that role and maybe not even in that company. You know, they're being hired based on a checklist and being hired from the HR department uh, and they're being hired by the manager because... Well, he's, he's been referred through the HR department or he's had to, he or she's had to do the whole hire themselves. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, ticks the boxes for, you know, they they got a pulse, they wear clothes, they have some experience in whatever the field is, yep. you know, whatever. So we can't just get down on the frontline staff for being crap at their job and destroying customers like yourself with that tech company. Mm-hmm. Whilst the buck doesn't necessarily stop at the management. It stops higher up. Hiring the right people to manage is crucial in getting your frontline staff doing what they need to be doing or the customer faces staff doing what they need to be doing. You know, it, it also comes down to, that's absolutely correct. And, and what's going on is there a number of factors. One, they're not, the, the upper management are not sharing the vision and the goals of the company with the staff. So the staff are just turning up to do their job and go home and take their hourly rate. They're not part of the movement, if you know what I mean. Yep. So you've got to share the vision of where you want to take the company, where you want to take the people. That's number one. The second thing is they're not saying to the person, 
where would you like, what skills would you like to expand? Because I'll back you in that. I've, I've employed you because I reckon you're worthwhile employing. Now I'm going to back you. What skills do you need? You can do it online. You don't have to leave the store. You can do it at night, whatever, but I'll back you and pay for the course. What skills do you think we need within your role as a person fitting in this, in this structure? So I think you're quite right. It, it, it's the upper echelon that need to engage with the front, front of house staff. They need to encourage them to, to grow as individuals within that company and as people and also to share the vision of the company, not in a rah-rah, let's go way, you know, some of the multi-level not market. Not like Steve Ballmer. Sorry? Not like Steve Ballmer. <laughs> We've still seen that video. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to make it a cult, but just, you know, genuinely... I care about you. You're a human being. I've employed you. How can we make it better? And here's what where we're going with the company. Come along with us. We're going to expand it. There'd probably be a role for you in an area manager or as a, as a store manager because we're going to be expanding the company. Let them know what's going on. And when you do that, you've now made the person more comfortable, the, the front of house staff, the, the retail staff. They know where you're going. And now they're happy to really try and build sales to connect with the customer and be taught how to connect with the customer too. Yep. Maybe some people don't have very high EQ and maybe they should be somewhere else, like in the storeroom. Well, that, and that, absolutely right, right? And then what that brings me to is something I know that's buried in what you were saying is, you know, on the one hand, share the vision of the company and where the company's going and what the, what the, the values of the company are. And at the same time, hire, I'm a big prop- uh, um, uh, supporter of hiring based on values, mm-hmm. skills secondary. Um, if, if the vision of the person you're hiring, where they want to be in life, where they want to be professionally, doesn't match where you as a company are going, then although they may have the skills to support the company, you just know at some point it's, it's yeah, not, not going to continue. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, these companies don't last forever these days. The idea of a, of an, uh, you know, this generational company, it's just, it's a, it, it, it doesn't exist really anymore, apart from the, the, you know, the few that have been around for 100 years or so. Um, companies are, are built to synergize more than to, to last. And, and, you know, people can get down on, on Gen Y millennials and soon to be the coronials in 18 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> When uh, when they keep jumping <laughs> between jobs, right? But um, who was it who said that people don't leave jobs, they leave leaders? I think it was uh, Simon Sinek, and he's absolutely right. Um, if if there's not a shared vision, you know, there's the vision of the company, there's the vision of the individual, and there has to be a Venn diagram thing going on to get them most out of the talent that you have hired in. You have a you have a pool of people, you have a pool of talent. And that talent either resonates or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then there's going to be a disconnect and that disconnect is going to get wider and wider and wider until such time as the ending. And then, you know, you have, you have the cost of acquiring new staff, of new training, onboarding, all the rest of it. There's a huge cost in that. Mm. I realise a lot of people don't really sort of get it. Even people in big companies don't get it if, you know, if they don't have budget control. But the cost of hiring staff is freaking huge, Right. Not just not just the, the the hiring process, the advertising, the interviewing, the the sifting, the sorting, all the rest of it. And now you hire them, and in a traditional bricks and mortar office, you have uh, you know a workspace which is 
you know, square meterage and, and, and equipment. And even if they're working remotely, there's the, the phone, the laptop or whatever, plus the internet, or maybe an internet connection, but there's certainly an email address and, and servers and all this infrastructure, which is actually a cost of the hire. And then there's the onboarding and the training and all the rest of it. And then there's the time they need to get ramped up. So if, um, and a lot of people just don't get that. So if you hire, if you're hiring people, because you want you want the skill sets they have, and they sh and and you want them to be able to support your processes for providing awesome experiences to your customers, then do it in a way where you at least have some level of certainty around the longevity of the relationship. And most people aren't looking at that. And you just used, I think, is the key word, and that's relationship. Um. When I look at, for example, um, Richard Branson and how he connects with the various aspects of Virgin and the fun he has and everybody walks away from him with a smile on his face. That's, there's an interaction going on there which is positive and it spreads through the company. Um, and in the same way that we're talking about customer experience, the whole thing is it's about uh, human interaction from the very top right down to the customer. We, that's what I was thinking. Have you seen that movie? I'm trying to, because I just, I was thinking something while you were talking and then I thought about Branson and then I lost it. the original one, come back to me. It's really important because it's, it's germane, there's a word for you, germane to this subject. And that, that's a documentary by Michael Moore. Where should we, where will we invade next? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, you've got to watch it, mate. It is brilliant, as usual. But he's talking to a number of companies in Europe um, uh, car manufacturers, etc., and the standard of wages and conditions for the people. And one of the things that was just astonishing, and don't get me started on the car industry because that's my background, right? And the reason why we lost our manufacturing was just a whole stack of lies given to us. Yeah, let's just bring manufacturing back into Australia, shall we? Yeah. Sorry, sidebar, keep going. Yeah, but so I won't start on that. That's my real big hobby horse about the lies that we got told about why we lost it. But anyway, so Stadler, you know, the pencil makers. Hmm. And there was the, the four people, their family. It's, it's a family-owned operation. It's huge. It's in a massive the, – the, the building looks like a bloody castle. It's on the side of a river. It's a stunning-looking location. And they make pencils, for goodness sake, and they're making more pencils now than they've ever done. But the interesting thing was their attitude towards their working staff. They were family. They knew the name of every one of them, okay? They would educate them for a new level of operation within the company. They would support them in time when they were ill or they had a baby and they, had, they have six months paid maternity leave. I mean, they look after their staff like the fence. So their relationship with the customers down the other end starts right there. That's the attitude they already have within the business, within the company. That's where they have, the heart starts and then it spreads all the way down. And that's what companies need to get back into. They need to start realising that they're not just a business that opens the doors at 9 o'clock and closes them at 5 o'clock and it's all about profit and loss. That's soulless, it's dead, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's fantasy land. It's, we are a community, whether it's a community with the bands that I play in or whether it's a community I work with or the community where I live or the, wherever. We are all community and they, these companies need to get back into that. There is a market, I think, for people to re-establish community Specialists, gurus to re-establish community within large organisations, and that's where the lot—that's where the, the rot starts and it ends up on the front counter because it's not 
coming down. The trickle down is not happening down to the front counter staff, and that's why we've got bad uh, customer service. I'll have to go and um, see if I can find my kutta pajama, you know, and, and my turban, and I'll become a, a swami. I hope I pronounced that right. Some of my Indian mates from around here, they say there's, there's a difference between the kutta pajama and the kutta pajama. One's the dog pajama, I believe, and the other one's just the thing that guys guys wear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, at least yeah, I, I don't know if I've insulted you. Yeah, yeah. But no. <laughs> um, customer service. So let's, let, let's, let's go back to some ways that people can improve. Because we are in a 24 hours, I was going to say. We are in, irrespective of whether you do open at 9 and close at 5, you're an office or you're a retailer, whatever you are, irrespective of your opening hours, we are in a 24-7 economy from the perspective of your doors close and your people are still thinking about you. Well, hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully they're thinking about you in the right way. Um, and so that idea that we can close our door and the minute we open again, that's when we get to interact with clients and that's when we get to, to influence them in some way. No, um, actually no, because the clients are living on their smartphones, on the internet, on their smart TVs, um, wherever they're living and they, whether you like it or not, they may be hearing good things. They may be hearing bad things about you. Hopefully they're hearing something. It's probably better than hearing nothing. Um, <laughs> as the old saying goes. Yeah. Um, so some, some examples, how, how can people, let's, let's look at retail because it is a, it is an individual. Let's look at offline as, as opposed to online. You know, there are, there are so many people who call themselves guru in the online marketing space. Don't want to even get involved there. And there are some people who are very, very good at it um, without that G label. Um, but in, in, in the, in the offline space, there is a massive opportunity for people who want to be offline, have an offline business. They'll have an online as well, but there's a massive opportunity for them to make a serious impact on uh, on their bottom line. You're gone. So transacting with them offline if they do the basics right at the call phase. What are your, do you have some recommendations that, um, you know, these people could be doing? Offline or online? Off. Off. Offline. Look, uh, I'm a very simple guy. Okay, and I just, when I walk in, I just want someone to say, G'day, how's it going? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Right? Not necessarily if I'm already clearly in the area I want to be and I'm, and I'm right? But they could say to me simply, if you need any help, I'm just down there. Because obviously the first, when you someone walks up to you in a store and they say, can I help you? What's your first response? Nah, I'm just looking. Yep. Right? But if they say... G'day, how you doing? Listen, if you need any help, I'm just down the aisle here, stacking a shelf, right? Don't be afraid to ask. There's a good start for a start, right? We've already made the connection. I'm not being hassled. I'm not being crowded. And he's there to help me. To be honest, that's about the beginning and the end of what we need to do offline because it's simply a case of the stock's on the shelf. It's reasonably priced. The store is clean. But I want to know, have you got my best interest at heart? Yep. So let's, so let's break that down into something that people can then go and do in their own way, in their own store. What you've basically done with that, which is really cool, is you've disarmed, you know, if someone comes up and says that to a, to a customer, yeah. you firstly disarm them because the immediate thing, the, their immediate response is going to be, no, please leave me alone. Yep. But you've totally disarmed them in that sense 
because it's no listen i'm over there you know stacking shells doing whatever just come and get me if, if you need anything i'm there to help yeah okay great and the, the psychology is now firstly oh whew, load off my shoulders um actually yeah, i do need something and you think i'll search them or and they're going to keep looking around but as soon as you do need something you're going to go and find them and as long as they're responsive you know um yep. they, they you're going to get help so it's a real simple, it's not a trick, it's not a technique. It's, it's as my good mate Tony Morris says about sales, sales is not about trickery, magic or, or whatever. <laughs> it's just a human-to-human conversation. Exactly. And that's exactly what you've done um, with that <coughs> is, to ha- is to commence a human conversation yep. with another person in a way that they do not feel confronted, do not feel attacked, do not feel defensive. Quite the contrary, they're, you know, I'm not saying they're about to go and send you an invite to their, their daughter's wedding or something, but you've certainly um, broken down the barriers for them to be open to you helping them. And that That's is right. the first level of trust that you can establish when someone walks into, into your establishment. It's like the golden rule, okay, which is treat others as you would be wanted to be treated yourself. So if you're a retail person, you say to yourself, how, would I, how do I want to be treated when I walk into a store? You work that, write it down on paper. How, what do I expect? What would I like to see? What's my perfect retail salesperson? And then you emulate those very things that you just wrote down. Yep. Rather than take on the teachings of saying, this is how you do it. This is how you open a client, or sometimes they're called a head. This is how you open a head. This is how you do a trial close. This is how you do a double close, right? Forget all that. I just want to talk to a person and have my itch scratched, whatever yep. that may be. That's it. Now, now the, irony, the irony is, right, you take that retail situation where people walk into a shop and really their first thing is, no, please leave me alone until they get, they get into, uh, um, met with that type of conversation that you just suggested. The, the irony is that people walk into an office, whether it's an accountant's office, any sort of office, what is the number one thing that happens and pisses people off when they walk into an office? It is the exact opposite of what happens in retail. In retail, someone comes up usually and wants to sell you something. In an office, you walk in, you're sort of looking around, ding, 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 ring the bell. No one comes out. You can be waiting there five minutes. Now, this happened to me. I had a problem with my phone. I still have a problem with the phone. Never got it sorted. And it's um, a, a, a major telco in this country, and I won't mention them to, to bag them online. Yep. When we, we renewed the contract with them, uh, we had some issues. So I tried calling, and I tried calling, and I tried calling. And I left messages when I was able to leave messages, but I called and called and called. And I said to my wife, listen, let's just go um, to one of the stores. We need to get a replacement device. So we had to go to, where was it? Oh, Macquarie Park. Now, oh, yeah. we, don't, we don't drive a car anymore. We're doing our bit for the environment and all the rest of it and our health. So to get to Macquarie Park from where we live was an hour and a bit by public transport. Now, I could have taken an Uber, I guess so, you know, support the economy, whatever. doesn't matter. So we went for a long trip to Macquarie Park. And we, um, we get there, walk in the store. There are six people in the store. One person is helping a customer. I don't know what the others were doing. Maybe they're playing Space Invaders, but it looked like they were Minecraft or something, but they were doing something on their computers. 
and maybe they were working. In any case, we finally get help by this one person who finished working with the other customer and then we're starting to tell our story and we listen, we've been calling. She goes off to do something and my wife says to me, why don't you call the store and see if someone picks up? Because all these people are sitting around doing nothing. And I did. Whilst I was waiting for the other person to come back, I called the store on the phone. The phone rang and rang and rang and rang and rang out to voicemail. Five other people sitting there doing nothing. You know, I... Obviously, you know, they don't share the vision of that company, okay? They have no, they're just there to, to warm the seat and take their hourly rate and go home, clearly. That's what we were saying earlier on, wasn't it? If they had a real vision, a real connection to that vision about what they were there for, why they're there, it's not about the hourly rate. It's about that just pays your bills. But it's not, and it's not even about separating your work life from your home life. I mean, life is life. It's all one thing, in my opinion. Totally, yeah. cool. And why can't you enjoy being at work? Why can't you put the extra half an hour, extra 45 minutes in? It's just life, just like we, you know, any, anywhere else in your life. And you need, they need to be shown, educated, led by the nose if necessary into understanding that that kind of behaviour, A, it's not acceptable, B, it's non-profitable, and C, it's damn well, um, it, it's terminal cancer within the company. Oh, for sure, because like you with that tech company, after this contract is over... You won't be going back. I'm not going back. No. Not happening. Not happening. They've, lost the, they've lost the customer for life. I mean, they'll get if someone money, was to ask you a recommendation, right, if, if over the next 12 months, someone, you had 10 people over the next 12 months say, who would you recommend I go with for a telco? I bet you, you would not recommend them. Absolutely, and that's a really good point because it's not even about losing your business as a tech company or my business as a... No, it's ripples. Company. Yeah, it's the ripple effect of uh, the tens or hundreds or thousands of people that one knows and is going to be potentially asked over the life of the contract. Now, that contract, okay, they're going to suck the money out of me for three years. Um, fine, I'll get a service for it. Um, you know, but what they won't get is anytime someone asks me privately, Paul, you know, who do you use? Are you happy? I'll tell them who I use and I'll say, no, I'm definitely not happy. This is what happened to me. And um, so the horror stories you hear about this company online, um, you can believe some of them. Yeah. yeah. And that's just, as I said, it's a terminal cancer. Hmm. You know, I worked for one, a friend of mine, and he was an accountant and he built up this business from scratch and I helped him get his first 10 or 15 customers. Um, but then as time went on, I started to watch how he operated. And basically, he had a treadmill. He, he, knew, he knew how to market. This guy was brilliant at marketing. I remember back in the 80s, he started, he started a carpet cleaning business himself in one van. And he, he spread it out, and that was in the days of yellow pages, the big book and, and, and phones and everything, landlines, and he had all these phone numbers, and it was like um, Penrith Carpet Cleaning. It was Seven Hills Carpet Cleaning. It was Parramatta Carpet Cleaning. All these phone numbers, but going back to one phone. He had all these sorts of marketing, and he built it up where he had something like 35 vans on the road. He knew how to get customers in. The problem was he burnt every single one of them. Okay. He had 
I mean, I was there and I know his client base. I would do the filing. I was, I was the practice manager and I was, I was shipping out work to the various accountants who I thought would get on best with the client. But at the end of the day, he was able to get so many clients in that it, it didn't matter if he burnt them and he didn't care if he burnt them. So long as he got them in the door and got some money out of them, he knew there was another catchment out there to bring more in. He did not care about customer experience. He burnt, 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 one after the other. And I see this so often that they don't, all they care about is the dollars coming in, not developing the relationship. He could have had a massively big business if he'd done the relationship trip. Yeah, that, that's because, you know, there's, a, there's the, initial, the initial value, you know, the, you know, the value of the initial transaction with every client um, versus the cost of acquisition of a client. And then there's the lifetime value of a client. Exactly. And this is the one thing I see so often, you know, in, in the private equity space when people are pitching us for, uh, for you know, investment in whatever their latest and greatest uh, goldfish farm is, <clears throat> you know, um, or other innovative thing. You say, okay, so, you know, what's the cost of acquisition of a client? This is just one of the long list of questions. What's the cost of acquisition of a client? Okay, what's the, what's the initial value of a client? Okay, so if those those things, if there's a there's a if there's a difference between that and the difference is negative, okay, why? Um, let's see if they can explain it. And irrespective of why, what's the total lifetime value of a client, and over what period? And yeah. what surprises me is this: most people I talk to who are looking for private equity cannot answer that question, and they pull a number out of their ass and expect it to impress, and it mm-hmm. doesn't because they don't know their numbers. And this is the sort of person who would go on, just keep churning people in, 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 without yeah. any expectation of, well, with a hope and a dream. And I've always said hope is a poor man's gambling addiction, right? With a hope and a dream that they're going to turn some great, you know, um, fountain of money down the track. Well, it's not going to happen unless you're paying attention to the relationship you're having and recreating that relationship at every possible step of the way, online and offline, if you're in an offline business. Look, I remember years ago, and I think it's probably changed now because cars have become less of a um, uh, a personal statement and they're more of a commodity now, a bit like a washing machine or a fridge to a large extent. Not all models, but across the range generally. But they used to say when, because there was a lot of brand loyalty in days gone past. If you were a Ford man, you were a Ford man. And Ford knew that the, the value of their customer extended over a 17-year period. I'm talking about the new car buyers. Yep. They would buy a new car every two years, and they reckon they, the average was they would have them for 17 years. So they would treat that customer in a way that respected that 17-year um, time frame and to encourage and to strengthen that relationship to last the 17 years. And that's exactly what you're saying. The lifetime of the customer, what are they worth to the company? And Ford recognised that. Again, I stress, I don't know what it's like now because cars are generic. It doesn't matter whether it's an Audi or whether it's a Ford or whether it's a Kia. They all look the same. They've all got the same features. Who cares? They're just like a washing machine now, um, which hurts me to say because I'm a real petrol head. You know, I've, I've enjoyed my cars over the years and still do. Um, and it annoys me that cars have become just another commodity the way they have. They're supposed to be fun, in my opinion. Anyway, so it, just going back to what you said, yeah, Ford 
understood the value of a lifetime experience with a customer and did everything they could to encourage that length of time, okay, and even extend it if they could. So, so many, as you said, so many companies today have no, don't even understand the phrase about the value of a customer over life. What's the lifetime of a customer? On the other hand, on the flip side of the coin, you know, a pancake has got two sides, hasn't it? Um, so many people spend so much time trying to placate, to satisfy the demands of an unrealistic customer whilst ignoring uh, the value and the relationship with a good customer. And, you know, the old phrase that, you know, 20% of your clients supply 80% of your income. But unfortunately, 80% of your clients take up, sorry, 20% uh, of your clients take up 80% of your time. The rest of it, you know, it's just, it's unrealistic. So you could actually just wipe them. Yeah, I'm not saying when I'm talking about customer service that you have to bow down and worship the customer. Yep. But what I am saying is you need to initiate the quality of the experience. And if the customer doesn't match up, well, that's another issue. You don't have to, you just burn, you don't have to waste time. There's other people that come in the door. But initiate a positive experience. And a lot of the time that comes down to, at least in my experience, it comes down to the people don't know what their ideal niche is. I'm not going to talk about target. A lot of people talk about target and audience and target. Yeah, it's avatar. Target. Yeah, avatar. avatar, exactly, because you know, I, don't know, I don't know too many people who like to walk around with a freaking target on their back, but, yeah, what their ideal avatar is. Now, and, and, and as a result of that, they do spend time in the wrong space. Well, wrong for their business, you know, in terms yep. of right or wrong. The other, other side of customer service that really, you know, peeves me is a lot of businesses reward new customers and don't, because they don't understand the lifetime value of their client, because they don't recognise it to the degree it should be recognised, yep. they actually just keep, uh, They sorry, they, they, they don't provide the same value and incentives to the existing loyal customers yep. as they do to the new customers coming in. And I'm not saying the new customers coming in should get a worse deal, right? You obviously want to get new customers in the door. And there's some fine balance there. It's just if you are going to offer something to a new client, and you have someone who's been with you for years, like I was, there was, um, <laughs> there was a, uh, another tech company that I was with for 10 years. And it was, you know, I stumbled, I kept paying and paying and paying, and I stumbled across the fact that, you know, the new customers were getting basically double the service for half the price. So yep. a quantum of four, four times, a factor of four times. And I'm like, how's that work? How am I appreciated? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Clearly, I, and this is the argument, right? You get quite back. Clearly, I saw value in the service they were offering at the price I was paying. And it was only when I discovered that because I was, for some reason, looking online at different things and popped up, that they were offering something to new people at four times the value, basically. And they hadn't even contacted me or even, you know, like that really pissed me off. Now, there are other companies, especially in the tech space, because it's so easy in the tech space to do. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to up your offer or whatever, you know, if it's a bandwidth offer or a data limit or whatever it is, it's just so easy to say to existing customers, you know what, um, you'd be with us. We're offering this to everyone else. We're going to upgrade you automatically. Yeah. yeah. And, and off yep. you go. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Reward the loyalty. Yeah. You know, 
And I'm not talking about point reward systems because, by and large, they're just ridiculously useless. You know. Well, they're they're not they're useless for the use for the customer useless for the customer genuinely. Yeah. But they're yeah, big get, bucks. They're big bucks for the company. Yeah, I mean, if, if you if you spend thirty five dollars, I'll give you four hundred thousand points, which are worth twenty seven cents. You know, mm. what's the and then then there's all these fees and charging. You got to do this and you got to do that. It's ridiculous. That, but the principle yeah, works. We need to make. Um, yes, I am watching it. Um, so. One last thought on those rewards thing. There is there are some guys out there who totally know how to game that. And if you sort of if you go and Google it, uh, especially especially um, frequent flyer miles, mm-hmm. there's people who totally know how to game that thing and get the maximum out of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they they just fly around the world and stay in the best places and and whatever. Now, obviously, you need to be able to feed it with a certain level of income. I imagine I don't An know expenditure expenditure, um, but yeah, they are the they are the few. But um, rewards programs, I think we all know they're... Uh, I mean, Qantas makes more money out of its rewards programs than flights. And I don't just mean through COVID-19. I mean, generally, mm. they make more money out of the rewards program than they do through, through actually selling flights and other stuff. Anyway, but you are right, mate. We've, uh, we've come very close to the time. We want to make sure this thing gets online. Um, listen, if you have any comments, we're going to be back next Friday. Uh, we'll sort of give some thought to what we're going to be nattering about next week. Um, if you have any suggestions of what we should talk about, leave a comment here or on YouTube or IGTV or LinkedIn or wherever you're seeing that. And if you'd like to come online and uh, have, a, have a, a three-way or a four-way chat, we're more than welcome, uh, more than welcome the company. And I'm looking forward to some hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then we know. Then we know we've made an impact. Send exactly. us hate mail. Send hate mail. That's good, but make it electronic kind. You know, we don't want to get any of that crap stuff on our doorstep. No. So, uh, mate, thanks so much again. Uh, you have yeah, a thank great you. Weekend. Yep. Uh, we're going to have to do this one day with uh, with two fingers of uh, of whiskey, I think. And a cigar. And a cigar. Just have to do it outside. Can't smoke in here. Now, it's well, I've got this beautiful view out the door here, but the bloody. Guy with his whippersnipper started up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, no, maybe not. Mm, maybe next time, if it's quiet, I'm going to be out there and I'll have two fingers of good whiskey. And have a case of beer in the fridge and give him a couple of bottles to shut up for half an hour. Um, or maybe it's one of those green pens they use, you know, when you're in pain. That would work, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All, All right. right Thanks so much. Have a good one. You Take too. Care. Take care. Stay All safe. Best. Yeah, you too, mate. All the best. All right, mate. Bye.